the principal most essential idea, the fundamental thought of the world is not the church. Nor is it governments or leaders or organizations or businesses, whatever they may be, or any necessary structure. The principle has always been the husband and the wife. Husband and wife, that's it. From these two come all life, all offspring, all blessings, all trouble. They are the only needful view, only needful view of the union of Jesus Christ and his church. There is no other view whereby we can understand Jesus and his church. They embody the totality of creation's peak moment. Man and woman, Adam and Eve. These are our parents, Adam and Eve. And I'd like to tell you that they were perfect in every way. But when they left the garden, they were a dysfunctional family and they did not even have Facebook. The first family did not have the internet, television, telegram. And they had trouble and they had issues and they had murder and the blood of the innocent spilled. Now, if that could happen to the first family without the world influence. All right, we're moving on. These two would become one flesh and together they will have the power to conquer, to rule, to imprison, to replenish, to build, to destroy a host of other polar things. And if the Lord so pleases, blesses after them, the most basic view of their lives will include children. Put them together and we call it the family or the home. And today I'm talking the core, the principles of a godly home. The home can be a mama and a son, a mother and a daughter, a father and a daughter, a husband and wife and children. It couldn't be where you are individually. That's the home. Any combination of this can be the home. But to be sure, the home is the core. And if the core is strong and united and centered and balanced and ordered, if the core features, hear me now, if it features proper roles, which entail respect and honor and integrity and proper work, work ethic, then everything around it will be the same. Every nation, every community, every church is simply a reflection of the core. This church is simply a reflect, reflection of our individual families. The corporate does not determine the core. It may help, it may guide or provide direction or insight or assistance, but take note, the home is where it's all at. The home. Our homes. And if the home, that core is right, filled with peace and order and love, if it reflects biblical principles, the church body as a whole will do the same. I'm not looking today at other church congregations. I'm not looking at other families. I'm looking at myself, my family, and our church family, and that's all. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. If someone has it all together and I do not, nor do I boast of anything if we found some sort of understanding beyond the understanding of someone else. The comparison trap. Everyone say the comparison trap. Say it, the comparison trap. It has destroyed many people and, may, and many advancements in the kingdom of God. It has thwarted hunger by comparison. It has stopped upward movement it's crippled giving and servanthood and revival a thousand times over. The comparison trap has put fervency to sleep. How many things could have been accomplished, but people began to compare? How many people felt bad about themselves because they began to compare? How many families, homes could have gained greater understanding, but they compared 
and they were not striving for emotional health because they compared themselves and said, well, I'm not that bad. I must be doing good. At least I'm not that person. And so they stopped their progress of emotional health. Marriages, homes, children. What about the home? What about my home, my family? So I present to you three characteristics of a godly home. Begin daily and simple. I wish they all rhymed. I like rhymes. I've noticed a lot of the new songs that we're singing, they don't rhyme. There's no A-B-A-B. There's no A-A-B-B. There's no lines. The lyrics don't even, sometimes they don't even rhyme. They're like long lyrics. I can't even remember all this stuff. Listen to WBGL. They've got these long drawn out songs. They're like novels. They never even go back to the, I don't even know where the chorus is. At least in the old rock and roll days, they would just repeat it over and over. At least when you walked away from, from that group, you knew I, you couldn't get any satisfaction. <laughs> Sorry. I can't get, no, well, then it's it, it's done. I don't even know what he's talking about. You knew what, was, you know what the story was, it was done. Begin daily and simple. Begin. Tammy and I love Mondays. We have started 1,000 diets on Monday. We've gone, we've gone, we've gone to places, came back, said, Monday, we are going to have a new marriage, new children. <laughs> We've started so many endeavors on Monday. Tuesday started decline. Wednesday, Thursday, we forgot about it. Friday, we are having cheese, cheese, we're having cream puffs. <laughs> Got convicted on Saturday. Repented on Sunday. Monday! I'm starting over on Monday. Begin, ladies and gentlemen. You must begin. Wherever you are in this life, you can live in regret or you can begin. You can, you can remember what you did wrong yesterday and we all did it wrong yesterday. You can begin today. The beauty of New Life Fellowship, the beauty of this church, the, the, at, at the root of this house is that everyone can begin again. Even if you err in the room, begin again. If you make a mistake here, I'd rather you come back and begin again. Don't throw your hands up and say it's over. It's not over. Tomorrow's Monday. After this is over, we're planning to have, on Monday, better adjusted children. Here's, here's the introduction. This is critical. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Don't, don't read any other portion. Here's the introduction of the Holy Scripture inspired by the Holy Ghost, written by the hands of Moses, perhaps shown to Moses on Mount Sinai when God showed him the hinder parts or the origin. In the beginning, God, when you get those words in order, your home will change. Your life will change. Whatever you start, start with God. Whatever you begin, you begin with God. Some people begin at the wrong place. They begin with anger. They begin with false assumptions. They begin with, they begin with conflict. Let me read Psalm 111. I'll add to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is the starting point. Just a side note. Satan's work is to destroy and distort God's original plan. And his original plan is man and woman. Jesus said this. He answered and said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? That is the root 
of all spiritual darkness to distort that one line. If you want to know what's going on in the world, I'm going to tell you what's going on in the world. At the root of every spiritual fight is to distort that one line, male and female, because that's what God did. And the spirit of the age in every age is to destroy what God did at the beginning. Here's a couple points. I wrote them. I didn't read them. I didn't copy and paste any of this stuff. Here's a couple points for your consideration to begin. You will never finish what you did not begin. Some of us in here are looking for a, a, a moment, a height, but we did not begin the walk. Here's number two. Failure is not starting again. Failure is quitting. You can make a mistake. Get back up. Try again. So what? I was, I was playing my soprano saxophone um, early on many years ago. And it was a big concert. There was, there was a lot of people there. And my reed had cracked. I didn't know my reed had cracked. And I had a good note. Everything was good. And then that moment when a cracked reed on a soprano, it, it actually uh, it pierces your brain. It, it, it kind of cuts into part of, part of your eardrum and just it explodes your eardrums. And then, you know, the, the people are, oh, and I thought, ah, it's over. It doesn't matter what kind of licks I was doing on my saxophone. That, that cracked reed just messed it all up. Now, I could, have, I could have folded it up, but I didn't. I switched reeds and finished it out, and it was a, it was a terrible piece. But so what? Chances are they forgot everything that, that I just told you. And I got back up and played the next time. And the next time. And... You know, there were moments when I started to preach that I didn't, I, I didn't do things very well. And, and that might have been last week, but I'm going to get up and try again. I'm going to do it one more time. And if this, if this doesn't go over, then next week I'm going to try again. And the week after that, I'm going to keep trying. And one of these days, I'm going to get it together, but I'm going to keep on trying. Failure is not starting again. You've got to start again. You've got to start over one more time and another time and another time. Begin with God and the next step will be in your favor. But if you don't begin with God, you have no, you have no predictability. You have no, there's no way that you can determine whether you're going to do the right thing. You begin with God. And finally, what happens in the beginning sets the path toward the end. Now I know that, uh, that we've said it's not how you start, but how you finish. I believe that. In, in many cases, I believe that. However, I also believe that there's another aspect to that. Listen carefully. It's difficult to make a behavioral change later in life. It's difficult to be someone you have not been for the majority of your life at the end. So yes, Finish strong, be saved in the end, but do not discount the start because the way you live is probably the way that you'll die. Whenever I hear about deathbed confessions, it makes me cringe. As if at the very end, you can say something or do something that negates the totality of your life. If you're waiting to make it right, Constantinople waited until he had murdered thousands of people before he was baptized. Because he publicly declared, I want to make sure I get everything out of the way before I convert. What? You probably will not end the right way if you've never begun the right way. Mm-hmm. Galatians 3.3, 3. are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? How did you begin? How did you enter the kingdom of God? You entered through praise and worship and repentance. If you entered through repentance, don't ever leave the altar of repentance. That should be a staple in your life. Our homes are often disjointed because we did not begin in the right place with the right view and we didn't start in the right place and we never got in the right place. But I say today to everyone, now is the day today, the first Sunday of May, to begin all over again. 
um, I, I brought my Bible and I want to show you, I know this is just a little visual thing, but I want to show you every day of my life. This is my Bible. I don't read my Bible in the morning so I have something to say to you. I read my Bible so I could become what God intended for me to become. This is a one-year Bible. This is the New King James Bible. It's a one-year Bible. I like this Bible because I write in it. There's a lot of great thoughts. There's a lot of questions. And this is a chronological Bible. And I was reading and reading and reading. And then because I'm a little hyper, I skipped, I put a card in that and I skipped ahead and read that part. And then I got kind of bored with that one. And I, I skipped ahead and I start reading that one. I got three different sections I'm reading at one time. This section's about to catch up with that one. I was going through numbers, you know, and reading all the names of people. I was like, Lord. Lord, would you forgive me if I just read a little bit of the Gospels? So I read the numbers and I skipped over here. And Man, I had him walking on water. I was like, finally, Lord. There's a story. I hope there's not a quiz on who begat who because I am done with those guys. I got through that though, praise God, and I, this is my notebook. I'm, I'm toward the end of it, so this is my notebook. Most of the sermons that I write, you never hear, they're for me. They're for my children, for my home. These are my glasses, they're readers. Reminds me, I should not join the softball team. This is my cup of coffee. This is my daily. This is my daily. Not this. This is my daily. Not that. This is my daily. If you'll get this in order and get this daily implemented in your life, all of this becomes powerful and wonderful. I'm a student of incremental growth. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. I'm a student of incremental growth. I do not believe in the quantum leap. While many people spend all they have trying to win the lottery, I believe in compound interest. One moment of love based upon another moment of love. And when people say, well, how do you have, how, how is your groups growing? I'll tell you how they're growing. One care, one prayer at a time. One relationship at a time. One good moment stacked upon another good moment. I'm not trying to jam and have, have a session, an all-night session. We're cramming information into our children's brain. It's all the time. It's every day. It's every conversation wherever we are. If I'm in the car with one of my children, it's beautiful. They're trapped. <laughs> and if I know we're going somewhere... I am, I'm trying to find a grandma and we are going to cruise down the road at eight miles under the speed limit because we got things to talk about. So I'm going to follow grandma to wherever we're going. Because that's the moment where I'm going to put one line upon another and one conversation upon another. I do not believe in lottery Christianity. But many people believe in lottery Christianity. They think that if I could just do have one great moment, one great service, everything is going to be fixed. It's not going to be fixed. 
You don't fix things at the altar. You repent of things at the altar. You don't fix them. You repent, you lay them down, and you go home. And then daily, daily, daily. I learn over time. We grow over time. You don't give the car keys to your children when they're 12 and 13, right? Why? Because they're not responsible. Right? Are they re- I don't even know if they're responsible at 16 or 17. I think we should raise the driving age to th- right up close to 30. There's a reason why the insurance companies charge more for a 16-year-old boy than any other demographic. Why? Because it's well known that 16-year-old boys do not have a developed brain. And if you get one, you might have a 16-year-old. If you get two of them, they go back to 11 years old. And the more boys that are together, the lower their ages are. You ought to fast and pray every day for Pastor Andrew and Sister Crystal, your youth pastors and your youth team. You ought to pray for them because every event, they're all together. And the collective age, the average age, kind of dips down seven or eight years old. Daily, daily, daily. I'm growing daily. I'm dying daily. I'm reading daily. I'm praying daily. I'm working daily. I'm striving daily. I'm seeking daily. Daily. Do you know that boundaries are not set up in one moment of time? They're daily set up. Those are daily boundaries. You always have to reinstitute the boundaries. In your life, in your homes, in your family, you always reinstitute and establish boundaries. Because boundaries will always be fought by your flesh. Should we go back to food? I'm not fasting. But I just like to talk about it. The closer we get to noon, the more I'm going to talk about food. You know you shouldn't eat that. You knew that. You know what you should and shouldn't do. You know, no, one, no one has to tell you. You know. Weight loss is not about diets. It's about thought. Proper living is not about a program. It's about what's in our brain. The battlefield is in your mind for everything. Even spiritual battles, not, you, can't, you can't fight them with your hands. The battlefield is in your mind. You don't even wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers. That's how we wrestle. We don't always recognize this. Let me just tell you. The greatest boundary is found in wholesome, predictable behavior. I submit, and I, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, the boring life. It's not really boring. It's not really boring. It's, it's a wonderful life. It's the predictable life. I drive from home to the church to rule king. All right. So what? I was a rule king yesterday. It was a great experience. Sometimes they have chickens in there. We have Life 360. It's an app on our phones. We have Life 360. We know where everyone is. Just push the button. You can tell where everyone is. Sometimes the kids are at church. Sometimes they're at home. Sometimes they're at the taco shop. It's predictable. The man who wants to have an affair does not want anyone to know where he's going and he's usually very harried and hurried. He'll give you excuses as to what his schedule is and just, oh, it's, just, it's up in the air because he doesn't want anyone to know his, his pattern. Daily boundary is the only way to have a wholesome life. It's got to be predictable. Not everybody wants that. In fact, there are people who do not want, they do not want to hear it. They do not want to hear it. I was talking to someone even today about an individual who considers me their pastor. They do not really attend the church, but they consider me their pastor. And I have learned something uh, that that's a wonderful thing. I do not discard that. 
It's wonderful. Even if people do not attend the church on a regular basis, it's a warmth and a comfort to me that they consider me their pastor because that means the door is open. I I don't know. It could be that there are maybe a few people who actually come to church that don't consider me their pastor. (laughs) Just for your consideration. (laughs) Because if you do, then there has to be a boundary predictable. Let's go to the second point. Simple. Now, I'm not talking about ignorance. I'm not talking about unknowing. I'm talking about making life simple. Because we get things very complex, and they're not complex. They don't have to be complex. There are people who are living lives that the soap operas could not even write the script for. And one of the reasons why things are complex, this is not the totality of it, I'm not going to exhaust it all today, is that we have far too many options in life, and the options are growing. There are too many options. There, there is a restaurant, co- can we talk about food? There is a restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory. Preach it, brother. <laughs> I do not like to go into the Cheesecake Factory to eat food, only cheesecake. The reason why is because the Cheesecake Factory has a very large menu. It's a book. It has chapters to it. And the options of the Cheesecake Factory give me a headache. Too many things make it uncomfortable. That's what's happened to us. Too many options have caused us not to work out our, work out our problems in the church. We don't work out our problems because we have options. Did you read last week, when Sister Shock read the forgiveness factor, you ought to go back to that. Because the Bible says, hear me everybody, because the Bible says, if, if you bring a gift and you remember your brother has ought against you, not you have ought against your brother, if you have ought against your brother, go ask for forgiveness. I did, I did that in the last couple of weeks. I called someone and asked for forgiveness. I said, I, I know that I disappointed you. I just want you to know, I, please forgive me. But that's not what it's talking about. If you know they have ought, you leave what you were going to give and you go say, please forgive me. If they don't receive you, that's up to them. But don't walk around and act like you're above The scripture, you're not above the scripture. You go to them and you say, please forgive me. You know they have ought against you. You can feel it when you walk by them. And here's the problem. We have so many options today in so many churches. We think, well, if it doesn't work out at that church, I can go down the road. That's what we're doing today. There used to be a time we didn't have all these options. There's only a handful of churches and you couldn't even, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't have, you didn't have the transportation to get to those places. So we had to work on each other's relationships and love and kindness. But today we don't have to do that. Because if you don't like them, you can go sit over in the Western Hemisphere. You used to be sitting in the East Wing, but you got problems with that person, so you're over there. I wonder who he's talking about. <laughs> Do you ever come to church and say, what is he, who is he talking about tonight? <laughs> now we can avoid people. Don't ever really seek for forgiveness or ask it or attempt to recover anything because options have been hurting us. And we've got life real complex because we have a lot of options. Too many voices. We're hearing too many voices. That causes conflict in your home. Too many counselors. The Bible says hide yourself in the midst of counselors. Not hide yourself in a choir of counselors. And if you don't like what that person says, you go to another person. And if you don't like your spiritual authority, you go to another spiritual authority. Until finally you got all these people, a cacophony of voices rumbling your head. Too much of so much will damage your home. It's time to get back to a simple life. Too many shelves are on your walls holding too many knickknacks for you to dust. Too much stuff. Too many conversations. Too many grievances. We're not only 
on information overload today, but we are saturated with nonsense information that we don't need. Talking too much, hearing too much. We know too many things about too many people that we have no influence over. Let me say this. Too much news. Cable news is a 24-hour machine that is designed to entertain you. It has to invoke an emotional response to get you hooked. I'm going to talk about natural endorphins, and that's exactly what's happening today. People get a high off of negative information. Your brain releases that negative information, and you'll stand up and say, praise God, I've never done drugs, but your news programs have become your drug. You can't get away from it. I'll submit to you, take one day and go dark. Oh, like a stab to the heart. No Netflix, no Hulu, no Roku. No internet, no Facebook, no Instagram. No Fox, MSNBC, no ABC, no CBS, no ESPN. No other acronyms. Just stay away from all the acronyms. Go dark. Isn't it amazing when the electricity shuts off, what we end up doing? Big storm. Now we're in survival mode. Fill up the bathtub with water. Suddenly we got all the candles out, putting on the stoves, see if we can cut some timber down the backyard. Come on, kids, get your bows and arrows. You got that little red robin BB gun? We gotta shoot some squirrels. We're gonna we're gonna die. All of a sudden people start having a conversation. What do we do now? We just sit in the living room and look at each other and the candles are burning, and now what are we gonna say? Because we got so complex, we've lost our relationships. We got so complex, we don't know anybody. And don't tell me you got 500 Facebook friends. They're not your friend. Did you go to their house and borrow a cup of sugar from them? Did you run out of eggs? And you, did you go next door? Get on your Facebook. Say, does anyone have any eggs they can bring over to me right now? Do you know that while I've been teaching, the statistics are that people have already chased, many people have already checked their Facebook accounts five times while you're sitting in church? I want to know, why do you allow your children to bring cell phones to church and, and to youth group? Why do you allow that? I'm going to tell my kids, where are my children at? Are they working in the Sunday school? Roman? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Pastor Andrew, collect the cell phones. I went to teach over the youth one night, and when I got to the altar area, there were like 40 cell phones laying on the altar. The reason why I had all those cell phones up there is because when people come to church, they're not really there because life is complex. We got to find out what's going on. We're on information overload. Too much news. We know too much about sports figures and singers and celebrities, but we have almost no knowledge of Elimelech, Naboth, or Stephen. You have a, an emotional reservoir, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it is a limited pool of emotions. It's not infinite. It's limited. You will spend it somewhere, and that is why often we are dry when we come to church. We have no tears we're emotionless when it comes to praise and worship. We get the first song going and we're just, oh, kind of, mm, boy, okay, okay, I'm, I'm getting there. I hope they sing. I'm going to engage in the second song. Come on, singers, come on. I'm trying to get it up. Oh, the third song, I'm, oh, I'm right there. Ah. Offering time. That's over. You spit your emotions, ladies and gentlemen, on your job, on politics. Do you know that people have left this church over politics? What? Social media? You spit your emotion on worry or, or you're angry about things that don't concern you? Let me read this to you. This is from me. This is from my life. Comes from my Bible. Comes from my one-year Bible, my new King James Bible. 
This comes from this. Come on in, Nico. So glad you're here. Come in. I was trying to find you. Praise the Lord. Ooh, bad timing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. So glad to have people come in. Listen, I grew up under Brother Stone King. He, he'd look up and see all that he would say. There's too much movement in this house. Too much. A lot of movement. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 31. Are you ready? Here we go. I will guard my ways. Say it with me. I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. The least favorite verse in the Bible for people who like to talk. That's, that's offensive. Let me just give you a couple thoughts here. This is an intentional design and it is conversation. By intentional design, I simplify my life. Number two, to simplify, I must purge. Removing things from my schedule and from my home. Purge. We have too many things going on. And those things that we have going on, we put it on ourselves. And they're destroying our walk with God. Because the Bible doesn't say that you're going to die just from sin. But let us lay aside every weight and sin. That so easily besets us. Weight and sin are two different things. Sin is well defined. Weight is what we do to drag us down. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin. They are not synonymous. They are two different objects. Sinful things will destroy your life. You got to lay those down. But you also have to lay down the weight. Because if you're a runner and you put weights on your body or a backpack on your shoulders... You will not be able to run. Lay aside every weight, ladies and gentlemen. If you got sin, of course you lay that down. But if you have weight, that's something that's also going to destroy you. Purge. Purge your life, your schedule, your days. Because if you don't, you're never going to have a time for a cup, a Bible, and a notebook. And there's no reason why everybody cannot start today with a Bible and a notebook. Simplify your life so that when I get up to preach, whatever my text is, that's not the first scripture you read that week. If the only scripture you ever hear is the one I'm reading from this podium, you're not doing well, and that means you've got too many things going on. And you're home. Go to the breaker box and turn off the whole system. You'll have to reset your clocks later. <laughs> Go get some candles and act like you have no other options but to sit, read, and communicate. Now look, I, I, I'm for Holy Ghost moves of God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a da- I dance before the Lord. I shout, I jump, I, I speak with other tongues. I love the moving of the Spirit. I think lives can change. I think the Lord can, can, can baptize someone in a single moment of time. I think there could be a new way of living. But when you leave that moment, you still have to contend with the things in your life. You have to contend with your own mind and your own thoughts and the way that we've been living. You have to change your life and you do it one day at a time. And I often say this to people, if you really want to change, give me just all I want is 500 sermons. Just 10 years, that's all I'm asking for. Just give me 10 years, that's it. And then you can do whatever you want to after 10 years. Where's Alex Todd at? Is he in this room? Praise God, he didn't go to the bathroom. I said to Alex, I said, Brother Alex, give me 10 years. Okay. But I believe this, and that in one year, after you've been consistent and faithful, you'll look back and you will not recognize yourself. 
Not because that you're hearing me, but you're in the presence of the Lord. It's called saturation. Saturation is called taking on the elements of the environment. Amen. Finally, establish your family, your home standard. Establish it. Make it personal. Don't establish what you're going to do in your home by what other people do in their home. Don't do that. Don't allow your children to say, well, they, they did that. They, they did it. You say, but they're not our family. This is our family. This is what happens at our home. Uh, to the current young adult group here and all those that have younger families, I would say this to you. Now is the time. Do not wait to establish these three principles. Do it now while you have a perfect opportunity. Begin with God in mind. Ask yourself, begin with God, ask yourself, what's best for the kingdom of God? Everyone should be asking this. How will my actions and my choices and my attitude affect the kingdom? Begin with a proper attitude. It's okay to smile. Anger is not hereditary. Bitter is not an ethnicity. Okay. I, I can feel the resistance right there. Because I feel like people say, well, that's just how I was raised. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, well, now you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I lo- listen, I love a word of prophecy. I love a word of knowledge. I want a word of wisdom. I want tongues and interpretation. I want all the nine gifts of the supernatural gifts of the spirit. I want them operating in our church. But I do not want to live and wait for that to happen in my life when I have this. You're waiting for someone to give you a dream, a vision, an interpretation, and a word of wisdom or a prophetic word, but you forgot this. And if you're waiting that, you'll die and never, never even receive the word of prophecy because you forgot this. Daily... Daily and simple, simplified life provides the opportunity for me to hear the word. And when I do hear a word of prophecy, then I have the wherewithal to measure whether that's of God, because I know this, or whether it's of man. Because if I don't know that, someone can speak a word to me and it may not be of God. But I have nothing to judge it by. How do I judge it? Because I know the word and I know that God is never going to tell me something through you that he hasn't already confirmed it through this. In fact, everything about the world comes through this. This tells me everything that I need to know. Not the news, not the government, not my jobs, not the employees, not books, not psychologists, not doctors. That. Whose report are you going to believe? This or them? Oh, my. Okay. Got carried away there. Sorry. Daily. Everyone say daily. Implement daily. If you are a young adult, a young, young couple, you have a window of time to implement daily. If you are young married, you have implement, you have a window of time. Because as the days go by, your window will close. It will not last forever. If you have young children, you have a window. You will one, at one moment, you're not going to be able to start a family tradition. It'll be too late. Simplify. Management of life always entails time. Time management. No time for prayer? That's because you had no time. Why did you have time? Because you did not manage your time. No time to come to church? No time to serve? No time to help? It was not because... It was not because you couldn't. It's because... You spit it somewhere else because time is the one commodity that you can never recover. Once it's spent, it's gone forever. Even five minutes ago, I cannot recover it. If simple is not in view, anxiety, stress, needless burdens, financial problems, debt, 
credit card debt, cars we can't afford, clothes we ought not be wearing, shoes that no one cares about. It, it produces jealousy because we're not simple. We didn't get simple. We got complex. We thought that our character didn't matter, but what people saw mattered. And so instead, we are in debt today because we did not live beneath our means because we have so many complexes and we did not get simple. We got complex and we're trying to cover up the inadequacies of our, inadequacies of our life through the things we purchase and buy. Let me just tell you, everybody, I don't care what you're driving. In fact, if your muffler is falling apart, no problem. I got a lot of coat hangers I can give to you. I did it. I didn't, we didn't have cars. We didn't have cars. We had mom's 1975 Ford Granada. And the, and the seat, the driver's seat broke and my dad fixed it. <laughs> he linked a chain from the top of the car to the bottom, back of the seat head with a big chain to hold up the when we drove it the manifold would slip and the, because the manifold was slipping the steering wheel would just vibrate like this Man, we didn't have FM radio we had AM radio KMOX try to take a date out in that once in a while, see where you get. You don't attract any pretty girls. You get the toothless wonder, man. That's it. You don't got, you got nobody coming after you, man. Ain't nobody. You know, pretty girls get in that car. Smoke rising from the engine. Yeah. We got complex. So now, we're, now we come to church and we, we, we're trying to show off and show what we have. Let me tell you, no one cares. I don't care. You get in this house and love God, serve God, have a sweet spirit and a sweet attitude. Your clothes and your house and your car is not going to make up for that. God knows exactly where you are. I want to give my life to God. I don't have to know everything about everybody, but I got to know this book. I got to know his word. I got to make my life simple. daily and it's simple and here's and here's the word and and it's and it's beginning let me just let, let me just get to this part because i i know that there are people who come to church and come to god and come to the truth later on in life and your children have not been raised in holiness they don't they don't know you you pray for them let me let me share this with everybody if you come to church or to god or to the truth the bible whatever you want to call it if you come later in life then you show them by your lifestyle the beauty of living a set apart life if you've spent the better part of your life outside of the lord your best asset in converting your family is not to be angry or to force something on them because after you set up boundaries of attitude and conduct and money in your home and respect, your best tool is your consistency. I'll just bring it down to this, although I, I start here. But your next best move is to find a seat in this house and be faithful until the day you die. If your children do not want to come and they're angry... And they don't want to be a part. You do your very best to bring them. But you do not miss. And you do not forsake coming to this house. Be consistent in your spirit and your attitude. And speak the truth in love. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about. I got a sermon for you. It's called, the, it's called Tributaries. You can go look, listen to Tributaries. Because it depends on your spirit, what happens down line, what you do. If you're new and you bring your children into the church, but they've not been raised in this house, your best asset is to be consistent and faithful and example that here and at home. 
Because if you try to force them into something you've not taught them for the duration of their life, they'll hate it and hate you for it. And if by chance they convert and make the conversion, you ought to thank God that the Lord was so good and you've raised children that are respectful and adopted what you brought them into. I'm asking everybody, where is your seat and where is your section? Where do you serve in the church? There's a place for everyone to serve in the church. We're going to love God. We're going to love one another and we're going to serve. We're going to serve. Say it, I want to serve. Say it, I want to serve. Meaning with all your heart, I'm going to serve. One of our, one of the men who likes to come to church, uh, really wanted to come and he didn't have a ride. And I called my, my nephew, Max. And I said, Maxie, I need you to help me. And, and, uh, it was an instant. Yes, Uncle Jeff, I'll, I'll do that. Where is he at? I said, I'm going to connect you. And, and the next Sunday, he's brought him multiple times. And that is a servant. That is a serving moment because I couldn't do it and, and I didn't have a lot of other connections but Max didn't really know but Max just said I'll go get him and he brought him and he's consistently making sure that, that he can come if he can come this is a moment of serving sometimes serving is not teaching a Sunday school but there's a lot of things to do listen I, I want you to do this you've got to establish your life and you can do that by beginning today and making things simple and having daily, every day moments with God. Okay, now can I say this to you? A past life cannot be removed from the minds of your teenagers or 20-something-year-old children or 30-something-year-old children. Your past life cannot be removed from their minds in a moment of time. Your greatest tool of reaching them and seeing them saved is your daily routine of spiritual living day by day, week by week. Amen. I'm trying to be considerate of the time, unlike last week. When everybody was just ready to go long before I finished. I want to just discuss a little bit of that, that high that we have. Um, the, the Apostolic Pentecostal Church is a vibrant congregation. We were born in the fire. We are not Protestants. You'll hear people categorize religion as, as the totality of Christianity is Catholicism or Protestants. We are not Catholics. We, we, didn't, we don't have a papal authority. The Bible says to call no man father. And we don't have idols or statues because that's against the Ten Commandments to make no graven image. So we firmly dismiss those teachings that are found in catechism. Nor are we Protestants. We are not in protest against the Catholic Church. Our origin is neither with Martin Luther or with the papal authority. Our origin traces back much further than both of those institutions. So we're not Protestant and we're not Catholic. We are according to the apostolic doctrine and disciples. And it comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2. This is our origin. Our origin is an original concept of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ plays out in our life when we die, as he died through repentance, when he was buried in a grave, so we're buried in waters of baptism, because Paul even wrote, we're buried with him by baptism. In fact, Paul wrote, when you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. And we believe in the resurrection, not just for Jesus, but for our own lives. And the Bible says that as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we can be raised it's resurrection. This is what the gospel is. Now, some people say the gospel is the good news. I got it. That's nice. That's like a cherry on top of a cake. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to remind you of the gospel. And here's the definition of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. How that Jesus died and was buried and rose again on the third day. The gospel is forever. The death, the burial, the resurrection. I repent. I'm baptized and I'm raised again through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's John chapter 3. 
Jesus said you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Those baptisms, water and spirit baptism. That was laid out. The Jews knew this in the tabernacle plan. The three main elements of the tabernacle. When you walked into the tabernacle, the first thing you saw was this really large and beautiful but, but fiery altar where they made sacrifices. Sacrifices were made. The first thing you get to is death. The next item after that is a pool called the Molten Sea where they washed. That's death. That's burial. And the final culmination of where the blood was consumed is the mercy seat, which, which was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant where the cloud of glory came down. Consumed. It was in the tabernacle plan. The altar of sacrifice, the pool of water, and the Ark of the Covenant where there was final sacrifice made. That's the death, the burial, the resurrection in my life. Are you getting this now? So when I consider these moments, I have to realize that after I have that experience, then I have to live with the Lord and live in peace. And I say this to all of you today. Go home and reestablish the boundaries and institute what you will and will not have in your own home. Men, don't be... Oh, Lord. Well, I've got to sing it. got to sing it. I didn't know the song, but Tammy taught me the song. We were dating... She really liked me. She doesn't sing too much, but she did sing me this song. She said, I know a weenie man. He owns a hot dog stand. He sells most anything from hot dogs on down. One day I'll be his wife, become his weenie wife. Hot dog, I love that weenie man. <laughs> Made me so mad. What kind of courtship is that? (laughs) No weenie man. Is that what you guys got going on? Hot dog stands? Is that what you got going on? Weak and spineless, no moral authority? Is that what's going on with your life? Do you know that Christianity is the only major world religion where the men do not lead? Go check out Mecca. You won't find one woman there. But you will find 10, 20,000 men marching in a circle, praying, leading. Go find Judaism. You'll find the men, the mass of men who gather around, even at the Wailing Wall and everywhere. But Christianity, according to Dr. R. Kent Hughes, who wrote the book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, say that 75 to 80% of our churches are filled with women, led by women, not because the women want to be usurping the men, but because the men won't do it. Men, you need to rise up and be a man, not a weenie man. (laughs) Be the man. Where are you going to be the man? Not because you're angry. Not because you, not, not, not because you can grow a beard, ain't nothing. I don't want you to ever talk to me about no, no shave November. I'm so tired of no shave November. What is that? I got something for you. No fornication in February. No adultery in April. No alcohol in August. Obviously, I have left my script. (laughs) Philippians 1. I'll read it from two different versions. Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve. Everyone say approve. Approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. I'll read it in another version. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And you may be pure. Men, 
This is for you. Don't tell me about your angry wife. Well, you can tell me about your angry wife, but I prefer not to know. Tell me about how you're leading in prayer, how you're developing your family, how you have your Bible open. She wants you to be a godly husband. And you have to discern what is best and pure. And I, I'm moving quickly now. Matthew 7, 16. You'll know them by their fruit. So there's evidence of all this. If you, if you, if you know how to discern and, 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 and your love abounds, there'll be fruit out of that. The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meek, meekness, faith. Against such there is no law. It's beautiful, the fruit of the Spirit. How do we know that we have the Holy Ghost? When you, when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost and the Bible talks about the utterance of speaking other tongues, which was in the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter, chapter 10, chapter, chapter uh, uh, 19, they spoke with other tongues. It was prophesied by Joel 700 years prior and Joel chapter 2 and by Isaiah chapter 28. With stammering lips and another tongue, God would speak to his people. This is throughout all of history. People were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke with other tongues. But when you're done speaking in tongues, how do people know that you have the Holy Spirit? Do you walk around Baslers speaking in tongues? I don't. I mean, I'm not saying I won't. But I'm just, I'm just looking for bananas. I mean, it doesn't take an act of God. Now, my mother does. She's speaking in tongues all over the place. That's why I don't go shopping with her. <laughs> Dear Lord, that lady's laying hands on people everywhere all the time, speaking in tongues. And then she says to me, you speak in tongues. People call our house and we're just playing cards or playing, or playing rook. And she hands the phone to my brother. This happens many times. Scotty, speak in tongues. We don't even know who we're praying for. Not like a light bulb. We're going to turn it on. I don't even know what he does. I'm glad. I, when she says, give it to me, I say, give it to Scott. He's the spiritual one. He knows how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I just know what, I got a good hand right here. Come on, pray for them, Scott. How about your fruit? Your fruit of the Spirit is how people know that you are a born-again, apostolic, Pentecostal believer, a Christian, blood-bought, saved. That's how they know from your spirit. Your words reveal your heart. Your actions reveal your motive. But the nearest fruit you have after your own spirit are your children. Luke 12, 39. I'm going to end here. There's so much more. I, I don't have time. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have been watching and he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. But the thief came in and broke into his house. But the good man, and let me just say, the good man, your home, mom and dad, husband and wife, protect your home. Don't let anything break into your home. And if you'll get some of these things that I've been teaching last week and today right, if you'll work on it, I promise you, there'll be a powerful move of God in this house. Because I believe that what happens here on Sundays comes from what happens in our homes throughout the week. Amen. Oh, all right. I'm preaching tonight. I hope that you can come. All of you except one person said that they have every intention of coming, but that one person has to drive uh, and go to their own church. So that's why I know. Incidentally, Brother Blackshear, it's good to have you and your family. Welcome. Amen. Please stand with me, everyone. Amen. I want, you to, I want you to exercise this. You don't have to hold hands if you, if you feel uncomfortable, but I would like you to touch someone on their elbow or their back if it's appropriate. If you're standing by your husband or wife, your children, that's a good moment to hold hands. If you're standing next to someone, I want you to touch. Everyone touch somebody. If, if you're alone, move to some, 
some place where someone can put their hand on you. This is important. We are relational beings. We're going to pray for each other. And we're going to pray that God would help us. So whoever's around you in the right and left, we're going to pray that the Lord would make us strong. And the Lord would help us to establish our daily, to establish our simple. That the Lord would help us in our lives. That we would purge. That we'd be clear. I want us to pray now. Are you ready? In Jesus' name I pray for everyone's home for the place where they live. Let these attributes, let these characteristics of a godly home be found, Lord, I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I ask for the simple, not the complex. I ask for the things that could be done routinely. Let them be done on a routine basis. I ask you, Lord, for stability. Let there be roots, stableness, foundations, in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray for my own family. I pray for me and Tammy. Help us, Lord. Help our marriage, I pray. Keep us strong. I pray for my children, for Roman, Reagan, Alexandra, and Nicholas, I pray. Help them, Lord, to find security in the routine of loving you. Not just at church, Lord, but every day throughout the week. I pray for the families of New Life Fellowship and for all those families that are watching and listening today. I pray for those homes, Lord. Let that core be strengthened in Jesus' name. Let prayer begin. Let something begin today. Let something begin tomorrow. When, when this is heard again, let something begin for the first time. We begin with you, O oh God. We begin with your, with your word, I pray. We begin, let daily, let daily be the, be, be the definition of our life. Let daily be the testimony of our life. And I pray, Lord, remove all these complexities that we've heaped upon ourselves, all the weight that we've heaped upon ourselves. Help us to turn things off so that you can have a voice in our life. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. I want you to come in here, worshiping tonight when you come, loving God, and I want you to love one another. I love you. God bless you. You are dismissed in the fear of the Lord.